Thanks for joining us today on the Jesus Famous Podcast. Hey, change is always difficult. No matter how great the change may be, adjustments are inevitably uncomfortable. So how do we face change when it comes to the church, especially when it's good change like growth in attendance or people coming to know Jesus or just increased responsibilities? Well, today, Pastor Nate's going to take us back to the book of Acts to see how the early church remained focused on the Lord through their early years of church growth. We should expect that distractions can and will come. So I think the response to that then is to try to fight for focus, especially in the leadership of the church. But if the church collectively can have that focus, then it's really great and really moving in that healthy, you know, direction. Nate, what's your dream size church? Is it like just a few people around in a living room? Are you like 5,000? Yeah, man, that's a terrible question. (laughs) You know, for me, for me, Riley, I mean, I've said this before, like pastorally, yeah. if I answer it like on that level, pastorally, the way I feel about it, you know, just with my temperament, who I am, what mm-hmm. I like, you know, about church and stuff, like I feel like 120 people or so is yeah, yeah. a really good number for get me. Get to know everybody. You, know, you can kind of get yeah. to know everybody, um, and which is funny because that's about what the early church was before you know, the spirit came on them and then, you know, it went way past 120 people. But my answer to that is always, I, I want the church to, if it can retain its doctrinal and philosophical integrity, be as fruitful as is possible. Come on. So, you know, when somebody says to me, like, I just love this church because I just like the size. Like, it's just perfect. Like, I just like to say that. Like, well, yeah. just so you know, as long as we can retain our yeah. doctrinal and philosophical integrity and we're not, ha- we don't have to sacrifice, yeah. you know, who we are or, thing, yeah. or flub on some doctrines or soften them up or something yep. like that to try mm-hmm. to be more palatable. As long as we can just still like say what the book says. Mm-hmm. I want this church to be as big as possible. Yeah. You know, so as That's long as cool. we can retain that, I want to do that. As long as, and so, you know, like part of retaining that is still planning churches because yep. that's, you that's know, right. part of what you see in scripture. That's what you want to do. So, you know, for me, that's, that's like a, there's no number, you know, there's yeah. no number. It's just as long as, you know, I think fruitfulness is what, you know, I want to oh, have yeah. happen always you know yeah that's a really insightful success answer is i like tim keller he has this thing that he writes about where he talks about how you know a metric we use sometimes is success or another metric that's kind of a response to the success metric is faithfulness so mm-hmm. you know the success metric would be like lots of people good experiences you know and it's big you know or something <laughs> like that yeah Whereas the faithful metric would say, 
uh, well, you know, it doesn't, the number that doesn't matter. It's just that like there's doctrinal integrity mm. and moral integrity and that's all that matters. Um, but he builds a case of saying, no, like God wants you to actually be fruitful to, yeah. to do stuff. He, he's looking for effectiveness. He, he wants some kind of effectiveness. So the word he posits is the word fruitfulness. And I like that mm, word. It, it's the idea of like God's church being like a field or like a garden. And there are certain things in your control, but also out of your control. Yeah. So you don't control how open the community is to the gospel. Mm -hmm. You don't control the Holy Spirit's interaction with that generation at that moment mm -hmm. in time. You don't control that. But on the other hand, you do have something to do with preparation and mm -hmm. planning and disciple making and pouring your life into it. Like you do have something to do with that. So it mm -hmm. kind of like takes some of the pressure off and put oh, yeah. some appropriate pressure back on. Totally. And I just like that because, um, yeah, you know, it's it, to me, it's not about like, uh, I like it at this level or this level or this level because uh, to be honest with you, there's things I like about like all of it. You know, oh, when yeah. there's, when I got a dozen people kicking it, you know, like yeah. I love that when there's 75 people worshiping the Lord, I love that when there's 5,000 people mm -hmm. together loving Jesus, I love Dude, that. Amen. Like I love all the small city, like getting stuff done for the kingdom, you know, kind of like I love all of that. But what I really hope for is just fruitfulness, you yeah. know? So I just try. I just am kind of a guy who just doesn't really fuss about it all that much. You yeah. know, I think a lot of people really fixate on that in both directions. It's got to be mm. this small or it's got to be this big. Sure. Otherwise, it's not biblical or it's not good yeah. or it's not mm -hmm. godly. And I just am like, uh, at some point, you just got to realize people like different things. Yep. I like what N.T. Wright has this phrase that he uses sometimes in his book, Simply Christian. He just says, at some point, you just got to get on with it, <laughs> and I love that. I can like, imagine saying you just that. gotta yeah. like, you just gotta go. You know, like yeah. I don't have time to to have those kind of debates. So, <laughs> that's not what you're asking at all. I'm no, sorry. I love that. It's really insightful. I love that word, just fruitfulness. That's you good to hear you say that. You can cut this from the podcast if it's not good. But. No way. That is awesome. Well, let's talk about the article, Nate. I wanted to ask that question because this whole article is kind of based off of the early church and the different growing pains that they experienced and just the growth of the early church is the first time that the church was a yeah, church and yeah. was growing. So can you just for a minute before we get, you have like seven points here. I want to try to hit them if we can, but before we do that, can we just talk about the early church for a moment? Um, talk to us about like what was going on when the church was just being birthed and it, specifically, you mentioned in the article a couple of like, tension points they had as they began to grow. So can you kind of let us in on what was like that just early story, I guess, of the church? Yeah, so it's the article I wrote is based on an event in Acts chapter 6, yeah. which was a few years after Christ's ascension. Yeah. So the gospel has gone out, mm -hmm. the spirit has fallen, and many... Jews in Jerusalem mm -hmm. have become Christians and some of them have spread out throughout the empire, but the church is largely Jerusalem centric, even a few years in, yeah. they haven't gone into all the world to make disciples yet. Like mm -hmm. Jesus told them to, 
Uh, not that we can hate on them yeah. for that. I mean, they, they didn't, they had that direction from the Lord, but it was hard. I I'm sure for them yeah. to know what to do and to be, we have to be honest about the fact that they had not interacted with the Gentile world totally. before. So that was going to be a really big shift in yeah. thinking and all of that. So anyways, a few years in the church is, uh, I think at this point about 5,000 people strong in Jerusalem. I'm sure some converts had to go home and all of that, but yeah. a few years in, you've got all these believers, you know, they're growing together as a, as a congregation. You got the apostles ruling over the group, teaching them and all of that. And they'd made a decision to live communally. They may have made that decision partly because they saw the return of Christ as a very imminent event in yeah. the sense that he ascended to heaven and some of them were actually there when he did it. They saw him ascend so and heard that he was going to return in like manner. So perhaps there was this thought that, look, we're just waiting, you know, mm -hmm. for the for the Lord to to come back, for the Lord to return, which I personally feel is a great attitude yeah, and perspective amen. for a Christian to have, that his time is imminent. His return could be at any moment. I appreciate that um, way of looking at scripture, but also that manner of life. So anyways, they're a few years into it, living communally, and may, they made a decision to create a social support for widows that were in right. their number. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, they were all Jewish, but some of them were Hellenistic Jews. Mm -hmm. So they had adopted some Greek mannerisms and ways of life, even though they were still racially Jewish. And those Hellenistic widows felt that they were getting less money in the daily distribution than the widows who were, again, Jewish, but not Hellenistic. Mm -hmm. And so they made a complaint and that complaint arose to the apostles and Acts 6 is talking about what they did yeah. with that complaint. So that's why I called this seven lessons from growing pains in the church. That whole problem arose because the church had grown. Totally. You know, there was exactly. just this issue that came up because this really good thing was happening. Mm -hmm. There was a hard thing that they had to had to deal with. So yeah. I the I wrote this article because I actually taught this message at another church that I was oh, okay. visiting, a church plant. And it just so happened that the weekend that I was teaching for them, they were ha they had their first weekend as uh, it, no, it was the last weekend before they went to two services. Oh, wow. And that's a shock to a church's system. Yeah. That's hard. Oh, it's yeah, hard for, for a church sure. to go through. You know, it's a, a change like that. You know, you've got to double the amount of people involved, oh, and yeah. usually you don't. <laughs> and some people, you know, join up to help out, but a lot of people are doubling up their efforts. Yeah. And that can be a hard thing. It can be a difficult thing to see the congregation, you know, look smaller in the gathering or to say, man, it's not the same as it used to be. I used to yeah. come and I'd see everybody, you know. So there are different things that are difficult about that. And I just wanted to talk to them about not just the growing pain of going to two services, but all of the gr growing pains attached to being part of a living, breathing, oh, yeah. growing organism. And 
you know, so, so I shared this message with them from Acts chapter six. And then when I was finished, I thought, well, I'm going to make that into an article and write about it for not posterity's sake, but to, to get it in there. Cause yeah. I felt like there were some great lessons for us from that passage. Yeah, seriously, a really helpful article. And I want to talk through as many of these questions as we can with the time that we have. So let's just jump right into it. So this first point that you made is to expect distractions. Um, I see this totally true as our church is growing too, that there's just so many distractions that can really take us away from the priorities that we really have. But you mentioned in the early church that Satan was trying to distract the church when it was growing. Um, can you talk to us? I know you probably already mentioned some of it with uh, the things that were coming up with the widows and the churches. Um, but how was Satan distracting the early church and how did they actually like continue to stay focused through the distractions. Yeah, I mean, the reason that this event is in there is because Luke felt that it was a landmark yeah. event. Mm-hmm. And obviously the spirit caused Luke to feel that way. There were other moments, though, that the enemy tried to stop the church. Mm-hmm. Before this, it was um, through hypocrisy, trying mm-hmm. to get Ananias and Sapphira to bring That's hypocrisy right. into the church. And then after this, it would be persecution. But this moment, it's mission creep. It's drift. It's mm. thinking about things that, though important, are not the primary things. Yep. And, you know, the work of any organization, but especially the church, with how life and death important it is, requires great focus. Yeah. And, you know, in a growing church, there are are often folks who have expectations. Maybe they've experienced in a different church environment, Mm -hmm. different types of ministries, different ministry philosophies. And so there's an expectation. There's a hope that we're going to, as we grow, add this or this or this. There can be a tendency from church leadership to produce more activities, more uh, ministries, more things to get done. And that might be a ministry philosophy that they have, or it might be something that they've done while they're ignoring their ministry philosophy of keeping things simple and straightforward. Mm. But in a lot of different ways, distractions come. It can be through emergencies that unfold in the church or immorality that creeps into the leadership. It can be a lot of different things, but we should expect that distractions can uh, and will come. So I think the response to that then is to try to fight for focus, especially in the leadership of the church. But if the church collectively can have Mm -hmm. that focus, then it's really great and really moving in that healthy, you know, direction. So like in a church like ours, because we've decided to emphasize our small group ministry along with what we do on Sunday with some ancillary discipleship, you know, elements, it requires a lot of focus. And when the leadership is focused on that, then super. But when the whole church says, we're going to really plow forward with this, you just really get a lot of momentum and the, the gospel continues to go out. People have an avenue for discipleship and new believers to be able to grow in their faith. And there's an effectiveness attached to it. So yeah, expect distractions. Expect them. <laughs> yeah, and that leads us right into the second point you mentioned, which is organization can further the word of God. Um, this is great. I, I liked what you said here. You said, we are not to organize for organization's sake but for the ministry of the word and for prayer's sake, which is great because, you know, 
it's just so easy to get into just like the hype of organization for the organizational sake mm-hmm. of it. But I love that there's like a purpose um, in it. It's to further the word of God. So let's look back at the, the early church. Um, when did they begin to organize and how did that work for them? Well, this was a big part of it. You know, the disciples or the apostles, they made a decision not to personally engage with the issue. Uh, and they established what was at the, at the very least the beginnings of the deacon ministry, mm. if not actually instituting the deacon ministry itself at that moment. And they chose seven men. They had the, the people chosen, seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, who would take care of the daily distribution. So what that did, obviously, is it freed up the time of the apostles to continue to give themselves this is the way they said it to the ministry of the word yeah. and prayer. That's good. So they just had this consciousness that if we get ourselves entangled in that, then the word and prayer is going to take a back burner and there, therefore the whole mission is going to be derailed. So the, the point though that I was making was not here about the primacy of the word and prayer, but just about how, when a church is about the right things, yeah. organization can really help out, oh, yeah. you know, and to, to have good people with their hands and on that and their eyes mm-hmm. on that, you know, it's really important. I just got done, you know, we were recording a few episodes today and I took a little break and was just kind of saying hi to some folks in the main office area. Mm-hmm. And there's this little, uh, little post-it or not post-it, but a little, uh, spreadsheet that is printed out in one little section of the office where it has listed out different individuals who are scheduled to Hmm. to help on sundays when the when tithes and offerings are given uh you know they they keep an eye on those and you know make sure they're safe and then they actually count them and count them together for you know obvious accountability Hmm. uh reasons and you just don't want to put anybody in an awkward situation totally. where they could be tempted to do something they otherwise wouldn't do. So uh, I was just looking at that little list and I was just thanking God for each of those people who Amen. decided, you know, my life is going to be minorly inconvenienced here to help out <laughs> with this functional part yeah. of my church, you know. And I'm so glad that I don't have to be part of that. I, yeah. I, you know, if I were, that would slow down the work of word and prayer in the church. Hmm. So yeah, some organization, some structure can really further the the ministry of the word. For sure. For sure. Let's go on to uh, number three, which says, because change is inevitable, we must be adaptable. I love this. Um, but I feel like this is also like one of the hardest things. It seems yeah. like we've talked about this before that change is just hard, no matter how you slice it. <laughs> it's just yeah. always difficult. But how, how did this look for the early church? What, what were the changes that they were seeing in, in this instance that we mentioned um, earlier? Um, and how do they kind of go through that to continue to grow? How do they adapt to all that? Sure. Well, I mean, all these different deacons were uh, a part of the way that they adapted to this growing number of believers that they were taking care of. And that that's difficult. Yeah, you it's know? difficult. I, I think about that in my own life because um since i since i think that the lord has you know called me to be in w- the pastor of one church for a very long time and and 
certainly it already has been a very mm-hmm. long time uh, by some measurements. It is so easy for me even to fall back on not even really thinking about why we do things in a certain way, but just, well, this is the way we've always done it. So that's just mm-hmm. what, what I'm doing. You totally. know, I don't know why I'm doing it this way, but it's just what has always been done. And that really is kind of a terrible way to decide how to do anything but but ministry i mean if it has been done in a certain way perhaps there was a very good reason and it's good to investigate that reason but sometimes that reason was a temporal seasonal reason sometimes that reason was appropriate for that generation but there's adaption that needs to occur now i'm not talking about doctrinal adaption i'm not talking about uh, changing or neglecting portions of God's word. And certainly we live in a time where people do that, you know, and it's yeah, not hard to find people sure. that are going to suit whatever adaption you would like to have take place. The Bible teaches that we live in a time and would live in a time where people will heap up teachers for themselves who will t- twist the word of God and, and you know, tickle their ears yeah. that are itching for a certain spin Uh, or truth. So I'm not talking about any of that kind of adaption, but let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, I know I've noticed here in this church that over time, there are different people who you would consider the key members Mm -hmm. of the congregation. Mm -hmm. You know, from when I started as pastor to today, the landscape of who is like the core of the church has shifted in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. so you have to pay attention to that you know and figure out who you know who do i know who Mm -hmm. who am i ministering to who am i building up another thing is to think about the shifts in the generations that are coming up now this is always really challenging you know i'm right at the like tail end of gen x so i i understand to a degree the millennial generation which i think is like age yeah, at the time of this recording, like age 20 or 21 to like 38 yeah, or something like something that, you know. There. So I, I understand and, 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 you know, have sympathy for and, you know, that generation. But, you know, there are questions that each emerging generation is asking, mm-hmm. thinking about, and then unique struggles. You know, I was just reading an article that I'm sure a lot of people have read. It was like a BuzzFeed article about millennials and and it was written by a millennial talking about like, you know, some of the stigmas that are attached to that generation, but also the, the pains that Hmm. they're feeling uniquely. A lot of it just the bottom line connected to how hard it is to get work, retain work, and also how hard it is to, um, not always be working. You know, because yeah. of the generation that they grew up in. So it was interesting to read about that. But, you know, for, for me, it's like that is more information to be thinking about. Oh, yeah, that's mm. that's a struggle that that people would be going through. So as I'm studying the word of God, mm. I'm you know, I'm thinking about ways in which this passage applies to them and to their lives. So. Uh, that's another way to wow. adapt to change is to think about what issues, questions they're going through. I mean, there's theological questions that people in this coming up generation are asking that previous generations are like, what? why are you even asking totally. that? That's dumb to even be thinking about. Totally. But it's just the way it is. It's mm-hmm. the nature of, of life and the world. Mm-hmm. So you have to be thinking about that. 
It's good. So man. those are some examples. Yeah, I love that. Let's keep moving on. Uh, number four is that people should not be put into positions they aren't ready for. And I thought this was a great point. You know, I'm sure there's, I haven't been in, in this position myself, but imagine you could speak to this. There's probably a temptation as the church is growing. You see somebody who is of good character and shows the right things. You're like, maybe they could take on this new um, ministry or can oversee this. Like, we need help. Maybe they, they can just jump in. But maybe, um, you know, it's just they're put in a little too early. The, the maturity's not there. The longevity's not there. Whatever it is, I'm sure that, that this is a temptation. Um, when we look back at the old church, what were they looking for as they developed new leaders? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the way I like to say it is that you're looking for faith and faithfulness yeah, in, as you're making decisions about people because there is a sense you could also make the point people should be put into positions they aren't ready for or people will be put huh. into positions they aren't ready for i mean yeah think about your ministry track record <laughs> i think about mine and yeah. i realize there are plenty of times i have i have been asked to do things that i was not ready for oh, but yeah. that i was leaning on the spirit of god and trusting that he would equip me and build me up for Amen, that moment man. and by his grace he always has mm-hmm. so what I'm talking about primarily, though, here from this passage is the character that character. is attached to a human mm-hmm. being. Because what the apostles said was, we need you to pick out seven men of good reputation who are full of the Holy Spirit. So it wasn't that they had experience doing this kind of thing before. Right. It wasn't that they'd ever taken care of a daily distribution. It wasn't that they would have necessarily felt very ready for that particular job. It's just they had the raw construct that was needed Mm. for the job. They had the character. They were good men. They loved the Lord. The Spirit was working in their lives. And that was enough for the apostles to take a step of faith. So we say that sometimes with like our our leadership team, our pastors, or our financial board, what we want to do is we want to walk the fine line of faith and faithfulness. You know, we want to be faithful in the sense that we're not rash, we're not making dumb decisions, we're thoughtful, Mm -hmm. we're being intelligent, good stewards, you know, all of that. But we also realize that you can kind of do that to your death and never take a step of faith. Totally. You need to take ventures. You need to, you know, lean on the Lord. You need to put him in the equation a little bit more than you're comfortable doing and trust that he's going to be faithful. So I think that's what they were doing with these seven guys. There was a sense in which they're saying, we're not going to control this. We're not going to do this. We're not going to be the ones who oversee this. We're not going to micromanage this thing. But the kind of people that we want to entrust this to are good, full of the Holy Spirit, wisdom, good reputation, yeah. people. Yeah. So that's what I mean by, you know, you're, you're looking, people should not be put in a positions they aren't ready for. It's, I'm mostly talking about their character. Yeah, that's good. You then go on in point number five to talk about how there's different roles in the body of Christ. And I know for a lot of us, we're not really familiar just with, with what roles are in the body of Christ. Can you talk to us about that? What are the different roles that people can participate in? Yeah, well, the reason I was talking about this here was uh, if if you didn't really know the whole story or the whole picture, you might read the apostles saying, it's not good for us to leave the word of God to serve tables. And you might feel as if 
they were coming across as superior to yeah mm-hmm. or uh, in a position of power over right or that they were lacking the humility that obviously Christ mm. walked around with so there could be a feeling from reading this that actually they made a bad decision because who are they to say we won't do that we have to do this we won't serve tables we're about the word you know some would want them to you know no you should serve you, you should do it yourself hmm. um, but that's why i tried to highlight that there are different roles in the body of christ they were first of all understanding their own role we are apostles we are men of the word this is our prime function one of the most mm. loving things we could do is focus on that yeah. for the general population That's and good. i think all of us sitting here today a couple thousand years later we are so thankful that they decided to throw themselves into the word yes. and prayer because some of the things that they said we're still studying today so praise god mm-hmm. that they focused on the word and focused on prayer but i think another part of this is uh, not just their own role but they were creating an opportunity for other people to operate in their role Uh, you know obviously all these seven guys these new deacons they were getting a chance that they didn't have previously so Mm. part of what i meant by all this is that i think we live in this world where it's like hey they have ten thousand instagram followers why don't i at 10,000. Mm-hmm. That guy gets to be on the platform. Why don't I mm-hmm. get to do that? That person, you know, gets to do this. Why don't I get to do that? And there can tend to be, uh, you know, first of all, we need to wait and let the Lord build us for yeah, whatever yeah. he wants to do in our lives. But we sometimes forget the different roles. It's like a, everybody gets to do everything kind of mentality but that's not always the case in the body of christ the vision that god had or at least one of the visions god has for the church is that of a body jesus as the head he has word-based messengers that he then gives to that body the people in the body have different functions Mm -hmm. jesus is the mind of the church he's got officers over the church and then individuals in the church operating in their giftings and in their callings so we have all different roles to play but our, our our body parts and our physical body would never try to be everything yeah. in that body mm-hmm. each part serves a vital and important function there are different roles in the same way in the body of christ amen man let's talk about the the bible for a second you said here that the word is important to the work and uh, you know in our day and age it's just so easy to be distracted from prioritizing the word by you know paying a lot of attention to culture or to other people or whatever it might be you know but you talk about how it's just really important that the word is kind of the center point um, of our churches that we're bible believing jesus preaching kind of churches um can you talk about how the the early church dealt with the culture at their time and remained remained um as a church who did really prioritize the word of God. Yeah. I mean, what happened here was a sense that there's an emergency. Yeah. It's this Hellenist complaint. Mm -hmm. And then there's a non-emergency continuing to teach Mm. scripture and praying. One of them felt very urgent 
but was not of great eternal importance and yeah. significance. And one of them mm-hmm. did not feel urgent at all, but was the greatest work that they could you know, do. So they focused on the important thing, which was important. And I guess for me, I just think about it like there's so many different things that modern believers, but I think on this point particularly, mm-hmm. I was thinking about pastors to get distracted with and spend their words and their pulpits Mm. on that entangle them perhaps in controversies that are unimportant for them to entangle. Mm. And I I mean, obviously if they're entangling themselves in it, they think that it's vital and very important, Mm. whatever issue it is that they're deciding to major on. But for, for my part, I've just always felt that the word based messengers or officers in the church it's the scripture that is to be their primary mm-hmm. goal as far as what they want to communicate Amen. not to gain people's trust by declaring the word to them for a really long period of time and then adding on to that a new platform or a new thing that you want to really harp on or, or get into and obviously there are people who will do that and claim I'm doing this for the word's sake. The mm. word is asking me to do this. So that's why I'm getting into this little subset or specific thing. And perhaps, you know, someday I'll realize how wrong I was about that kind of mentality. But I don't think so. You know, I, I, I see the apostles as devoting themselves to the word and prayer. I, I You know, a passage of scripture that has always stood out to me is from 1 Timothy chapter 4. When after telling Timothy to uh, make sure that no one is able to despise his youth, Paul tells Timothy, who was a pastor in Ephesus, he says, you need to devote yourself entirely to these Mm, things. You need to read the text, you need to explain the text, and you need to apply the text in people's lives. That's what you need to throw yourself Mm. into. Give your life to that. So... um, you know, if there was ever anything that was worth having that primary, like all consuming fire, it's what my life is about thing. If, if there is anything that's worth that, I would think that it would be for those who are called to it Mm. to really give themselves to the word of God in that kind of way. And I think it's just, it's, it's important for a church, you know, the, the word just changes people it 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 messes with people it speaks to people it confronts so many things so to me the word is incredibly important to the work and this wasn't the scope of the article nor our conversation but to me that expositional style is really important because then people are interacting verse Mm -hmm. by verse with god's word and it just says things that they need to hear about oh amen (laughs) amen Let's, uh, let's wrap this up with this last point that you made, Nate. Um, you said great things can be accomplished when we work together. Can you just tell us about how the early church worked together during their early growth? And maybe you can say a word. I mean, you just mentioned pastors. Maybe you can say a word to pastors about just encouraging their churches to work together during seasons of growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at the, at the end of this story, you know, all throughout the book of Acts, for those of you who aren't, aren't familiar, throughout the book of Acts, which is about a 30-year record that's mm-hmm. well detailed by Dr. Luke, who wrote it, there are various moments throughout the book where Luke has a progress report that mm-hmm. he wants to give 
to the people. And after this story, we have another one of those progress reports when he says, in conclusion to the story, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. It's as if Luke saw that there was a connection between their decision, word and prayer, installed Mm. deacons, and the fruit that came afterward all the people that were getting saved the disciples that were being made the word of god continuing to increase and a great many of even priests becoming obedient to the faith and when i shared this message it was to this little church you know that was getting to the point of having two services and still in their early stages as a church just a few years old and i just wanted them to know that if you all work together and you are, I mean, nobody likes to use the S word, submit. If you submit (laughs) to your leaders and your leaders are gracious and Mm -hmm. kind and benevolent leaders, if you all work together, you could accomplish great things in this city. God Mm -hmm. will use your lives. He will honor your faithfulness and he, because God is trying to reach people, God About wants yeah. to do this more than you want to do this. Mm-hmm. So I just tried to share with them, you know, great things can be accomplished when we work together. And let's see what you see here in that church. And for any church leader that's listening to this, my encouragement would be uh, that you can never get away from the leadership component to what you're doing. It is true that the apostles gave themselves to the word and prayer, but really what they were doing in this instance was not teaching and not praying, but they were leading. Mm. They were leading really well in this moment. And uh, there are many things about church leadership that I don't like, that are unnatural Mm. to me, that I always need God's help in and for. Mm. And there are some things about it that I delight in, that I like, that I enjoy. But in all of it, I always realize it is necessary. And it is very important. And when I give myself to it, things just go well. The church continues to grow. Clarity is given. Mm. So you've got to give yourself to it. And if you're a person who's not a church leader, but you're in a church, you're part of a church, and you want to see your church do well, my exhortation to you would be to support Mm. your leadership in that church, to be all in to be really part of it, to learn what the mission and vision of that church is, because when you are working together with that group of leaders, God could do incredible things there in your community. Thanks for tuning in today. If you'd like to hear some more content from Pastor Nate, please subscribe to the Jesus Famous Podcast. Each week, we'll be posting conversations just like the one you just heard, as well as some live readings that Pastor Nate is posting a couple times a week. For any more articles, books, or resources from Pastor Nate, please go to nateholdridge.com. Catch you next week.